Welcome to another edition of Global Investment Leaders. Welcome, everyone. This is Chaz Burkhart, CEO of Rosemont. Thank you for taking a moment to tune into Global Investment Leaders. Today, it's a pleasure to be joined by my friend, Dave Fulton, who is the CEO of Clearstead in Cleveland, Ohio. Dave, thanks for making the time. Hey, thank you, Chaz, uh, and good morning. I think for the folks who don't know Clearstead and don't know its origins from Heartland, I think it would be great for you to give us a sense of the firm. I mean, it's a sizable, competitive, attractive wealth management and institutional advisory business in which we were invested for approximately five years. But to give the listener a sense of some of the metrics of the company and what Clearstead looks like today and how it evolved from Heartland to Clearstead. Sure. Uh, uh, thanks. Glad to. So Clearstead's a, a private client and institutional financial advisory firm. And our mission is to help our clients be good stewards of their assets, to uh, help them meet their financial objectives with appropriate risk and, and low costs. And just by the numbers, uh, we're, we were founded in 1989. We have about $32 billion under advisement. $26 billion of that is for about 200 institutions, $6 billion for 600 families. We have 130 employees today, 41 of whom are employee shareholders, and that's really important to the culture of the firm. And to put the uh, assets in perspective, about $11 billion is under our discretion. Our private client business is a multifamily office, so we integrate investments with tax planning and compliance, financial planning, family office services, and trust services. Our institutional business is both discretionary and non-discretionary. Non-discretionary is the historic business of the firm. Our discretionary or OCIO business is by far the fastest growing part of our institutional business. So that's a little bit about Clearstead. How did we get here? In 2010, Carl Tippett and I invested in Heartland, which was a small but well-regarded institutional advisory firm. And the founder had the vast majority of the equity. So what we did is we started a private client group with the idea that the rigorous institutional investment approach would be attractive to families and individuals. And that has just been an amazing idea and it just took off. In, uh, we began hiring leading practitioners. We started acquiring small firms. Uh, we made an important acquisition of Chess Financial early on um, in 2010, and that added tax and financial planning, family office services. We started to implement services that we felt could scale the firm. So business development, compliance, research, IT, and HR. We initiated discretionary management for institutions or OCIO in 2016. So the firm just really grew in those years. In 2017, we were introduced to you and to Rosemont and uh, to restructure the firm. And you're, the minority investment that you made transformed um, Clearstead. It helped us take out the founder 
and it significantly broadened shareholder ownership. So at that point, shareholder ownership went from 10 to 18, and today it's 41. So this really enhanced the ownership culture of the firm, and which we think is essential to client service. So Rosemont was the right firm at exactly the right time, made a huge difference. In 18, 2018, we rebranded the firm, naming it Clearstead. And that was just to better reflect the broader range of services. And the younger professionals wanted to refresh the image. I might comment, Chaz, on, on, the year, on COVID, which was a tough period for many firms. We used COVID as a time, uh, and you were intimately involved in this, but to upgrade the uh, quality of the firm and uh, recommit to our growth. So we made some strategic hires and research. We added operational staff. We developed Clear Access, which is our uh, private investment platform. Uh, we started and invested in a trust company. And uh, the result was record growth. And that's continued through 2022. In 2022, we worked with you to transition to FlexPoint Ford, which is a Chicago-based private equity firm. And we made an investment, uh, they made an investment to help accelerate our growth and uh, increase opportunities for employee ownership. Coincident with that, we closed an acquisition, an important acquisition of uh, Snow Financial Advisors here in Cleveland. So that's really the transformation from Heartland to, um, to Clearstead and where we are today. It's come a long way, clearly. Thanks for that summary, Dave. I think Tom Heartland would be proud uh, of basically you know, what he started and where you've taken it. Um, it is curious that, unfortunately, as all private equity firms must, we reached our time uh, in the fund's life where we had to consider an exit. Uh, we were not yet a permanent capital business as we are now with Markel. And so we needed an exit. And we, uh, as you mentioned, went through a process led by Colchester and talked to a number of firms and FlexPoint Ford uh, ultimately became your partner in this process. I think something that a lot of folks would think about is why another PE firm, given all the other sources of capital out there at this time. And Chaz, you know, we, we thought a lot about this uh, here and, and with you. I think that FlexPoint is a firm that, that focuses on investments in financial services firms. They provided capital to accelerate our growth through, especially through acquisitions and to make investments in technology and processes at the firm. Also, it, it opened up opportunities for our younger up-and-comers to continue to buy into the firm. So your question for YPE, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a question we really wrestled with. The, um, we looked at another source of funding and they've been fantastic, but the ultimate form of their exit, we just don't know. Who knows what that's going to be? It could be in whole or in part. Firms like ours have real scarcity value. We might even, as employees, buy back into the firm. So there's a lot of ways that, that this could um, could end up. I knew FlexPoint Ford a bit, uh, obviously from our specialty, um, and was aware both of their capabilities and their interests. And I'm glad that it's worked out very well. But I think you make a very 
important point about the long-term optionality of the ownership of the business and uh, what you'll be able to do in the years ahead, given the success that Clearstead has continued to achieve. Before we move on, Dave, to I think some of the business characteristics and your view on some of the timely topics in the industry, I do want to go back to this ownership issue because I think some know, but many might not realize just how rare it is for a firm that not only coming through our investment in 2017, but then five years later with the investment by FlexPoint Ford, there continued to be significant demand across your shareholder base to own the company. And that's just extremely rare. We are constantly looking for G2 and up and coming partners in the firms that we would invest in to want to take the mantle and be responsible and be aligned with us for a long period of time. And it's just really hard to find. Why do you think there's been such a strong ownership culture and that demand across your firm here for years? It's just so integral to our culture um, that, that it's broad ownership, 41 owners, 32% of the employees are shareholders. It's just so entwined with our collegial culture. And we, we really, we call ourselves a firm without sharp elbows and, and a friendly firm. It's attractive to prospective clients and to employees. And because of that, I think it engenders a real respect for one another and a trust in one another. And an idea that everybody here is on her or his own trajectory. So all that stems from this broad ownership. And Chaz, some, of, some people may say, well, that's due to this soft Midwestern sensibility. <laughs> you know, I think, we, I think we do tend to be inherently polite people, but, but I think also it's because of that that we can also be rigorous and hold one another to high standards. And high performers are offered the chance to buy into the firm. And there's always been an enormous appetite to do that. It's great to be polite. It's great to be generous. And uh, I, I think that you are thoughtful without a doubt as a leader and as a leadership group. But I will absolutely clarify that the uh, buy-sell agreement and the terms by which you are uh, exchanging stock internally is thoughtful. It's reasonably competitive. It is not a gift. And many of those folks could basically be saying, pay me, incent me. Yeah. Make it make it up to me somehow in cash bonus, or give me phantom equity award uh, potential or uh, capital appreciation rights or other means of becoming owner where they don't actually have to write checks. And your folks have written checks in a not completely comfortable environment. I should point out right. both over the last few years and just kind of going through the unknown in the transfer to our ownership and out of FlexPoint Ford. I'm telling you, that's extremely uh, rare. You have to keep growing and you have to have a, a way for people to buy in at below market rates. And that, that combination is really important. Recently, with the, uh, the, an acquisition that we made, our shareholders, including all the young up-and-comers, were offered the opportunity to invest peri passu with FlexPoint in the, in the deal. And what was absolutely astonishing is it was oversubscribed by our shareholders. And this was after many of them having just purchased more shares several months before. So it's really been a terrific response. 
this was clearly not seen as a relatively mature firm where we had likely top tick value and where you were just going to kind of stay on to manage a relatively flat business to try to just keep what you had. And if you grew a little bit, that'd be fine, but not important. Clearly taking on flex point four, that wouldn't be the MO. You are clearly looking to grow both organically and inorganically. I think your colleagues realize that. And I just love the feeling of alignment and demand that has been consistent across your ownership base, as, as we said, right down to the most junior folk. Well, thanks. Rosemont was a big part of it. Well, appreciate that. And obviously, we wish that we'd met you when we were a permanent capital business, but such is life. Let's move on, Dave, to the wealth management industry, which is an incredibly competitive uh, and somewhat complex and differentiable business when you look at all the different types of business models and folks in it. I think that Clearstead has become a very distinctive leading wealth management company. And having been on the inside for years and had relationships with a lot of your key people, relationship managers, people in the tax department, people in estate planning, folks that uh, help govern the client service relationships and more, I could feel it and have great confidence with the quality of employee that you've hired, Dave. But in your words, what do you think it's going to be a leading wealth management company? What do you have to continue to do well to, to be that? Chaz, I, I would say the first thing is objectivity. And I know everybody talks about objectivity and independence, but it's been a tenet of ours since the beginning. And what it means that as a fiduciary, that, that you always and in all matters, put your clients before yourself and to act only in their best interests and then to seek and implement the best solutions possible for the clients. You can't even have a whiff that you're interested in anything other than their best interests. That's what objectivity I would put at the top. I think secondly, you, you have to have strong and engaged professionals. And we've done this, as we've discussed, through the owner-oriented culture. We are looking for both collegiality and rigor. I think related to that is this idea of a waterfall of ages. And that's important not only in client service, continuity uh, for clients and across generations, but also in management succession for the firm. So we've focused on having partners in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and then the old guys like uh, Carl and me. And then the last, I think, is the willingness to invest. You have to be willing to invest in people, processes, and technologies. And as you know very well, a lot of firms don't grow because they're not willing to do this, or it takes away from what they can draw out of the business. Well, it, you make a very good point. It, it just it, It's a series of choices. And for some, depending on their ownership and depending on the ages and inclinations of the key people, they would much rather harvest and take what they can out of the business rather than continue to invest in it. And I think that particularly applies to technology, where I think that uh, some folks like you are ahead of the curve and many are far behind. And the other, I would say, just applies to the quality and makeup of the client service groups of the relationship management teams. And I think you could talk for a second about the relationship management function at Clearstead. You have a number of senior folk that are both very good new business 
drivers and very good client service people, stewards for the clients. Talk a little bit about why the relationship management function has evolved as it has and, and why you look the model. It's a great question. It's what we like the model a lot because it is team-based. So I'll talk about the private client side for a second. The way relationships are handled is we'll have a senior practitioner, we call them managing directors, in charge of the relationship. More often than not, these individuals come from a planning background. So they're from big eight accounting firms um, with, with great financial experience. And then underneath them, working for the client is a portfolio manager, a dedicated financial planner, a dedicated tax person. We have 20 people in our tax area. We're doing well over 1,200 returns a year. We consider all this important for the client. Recently, we, we, we uh, started up a trust company, so we're beginning to offer trust services as well. So all that is delivered underneath a, a managing director. So it's a fully integrated approach to solving the client's issues and to, to uh, managing uh, their affairs. I think it's the makeup of the team. It's the complementarity of the folks on it. And obviously the quality of the people, which you've, I think, been a very careful hire of said people. But I think another thing that is kind of goes with the territory of wealth management businesses and kind of how they develop and evolve their business models is their position on fees. And one of the things that I noticed, which was very unusual in your business over my time with you, was that you consistently raised fees in the private client area, I think appropriately, and I think quite purposefully with families and private client groups for whom you were doing increasing amounts of work. That is very unusual in a business that has lots of fee pressure and doing more for less. Do you want to talk to that for a sec? The reason we've been able to increase fees is in large part because of these ancillary services. So financial planning, tax, family office services. And, and what happens is that you, you'll be hired at one rate. We, we will we will compartmentalize these, these services and, and show people our rationale for, the, for our fees. So as relationship grows, you'll get scope creep over time. They'll just keep adding more and more and more to what you're doing for the same price. So we'll go back to them with a thoughtful analysis of what we're providing and what the new cost should be. We really have had little issue with uh, clients paying us more. Oh, I think it because it was rational and it actually made sense. And I think in terms of the resources expended on Clearstead's behalf, it was quite appropriate. Let's pivot from the wealth management side to your OCIO business and your institutional advisory roots started by Tom. But as you said, you know, you've really made a push to have more discretionary business and to take your investment engine, which I think has been a pretty solid open architecture investment engine across the asset class spectrum for some time, and to apply that um, on behalf of hospitals, religious organizations, corporate public endowment foundation and other uh, institutions. How do you view your OCIO business, Dave, and in terms of growing it, in terms of the competition, um, and resourcing it, 
give me a few thoughts on where you're trying to take that business. Sure. Uh, historically, our institutional business was non-discretionary. So we'd go into a committee and we'd have to recommend changes in portfolios and that they would have to be explicitly approved. And we still have a significant amount of non-discretionary business, but by far the fastest growing part of our business is this discretionary or OCIO offering, Outsourced Chief Investment Officer. And the reason that's growing is that a lot of institutions and a lot of trustees are in no position to judge the, the value or the credibility of a different, different types of investments. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll let us operate within defined guidelines to select the investments within the asset allocation structure. The reason it's important is that it lets the, it lets the uh, fiduciary uh, fulfill his fiduciary responsibility and they can focus on strategy, direction, performance, all the things that are important other than just selecting particular investments. And that's why we see it growing. Well, as you know, there are plenty of competitors from the very large folks, consulting originated uh, OCIO businesses down to the mom and pop, and then a lot of very commercial, successful, independent folks in between. I think you've got a niche in your region and in certain types of providers. Is there an ideal client type or types of characteristics of that institution that really make great sense for Clearstead? Yes, we're, we are highly competitive in our geographies. So those are mid-Atlantic through Pittsburgh into Ohio, Indiana, and Michigan. And I would say we are highly competitive in the mid-sized institutions. So the 25 to $150 million endowment and foundation, and that's where we've had tremendous success. It's also, uh, we find, where, where OCIO makes a lot of sense for those types of institutions. I agree. It's a business decision. And so kind of once you get past the point of pride and you start looking at fees, capability, and as you said, to really fulfill your fiduciary duty, I think it makes a ton of sense. So I'm glad to see your development there. Let's move on to growth strategy, which obviously is an important and multi-headed issue. Clearstead, I mean, one of the first things I would say, uh, certainly in my time, and I'm sure this preceded me and succeeds Rosemont, but you had continuous positive net flows organically. It seemed like almost every single quarter of our investment, uh, you were developing positive net flow business. And that was steady and appropriate. It, it wasn't that you were chasing client types or spending money irrationally or, or cutting fees hard to get that. So I think the organic growth strategy um, will persist and it's got a great foundation. You can talk to that, Dave, but I think a lot of folks would probably like hearing about your inorganic growth strategy, given the M&A euphoria that you and I live in yes. and that we have observed, uh, it's interesting, right, for you to be on both sides of the coin um, as a seller and the process you went through, well, the two processes, both uh, taking on us and then taking on FlexPoint Ford, and now as a buyer, having brought on Snow, give me some perspective on 
your view of Clearstead's place in M&A euphoria? Sure. Um, just a quick comment on organic growth. One of the reasons we have good organic growth is this broad ownership. So it, it extends the culture across the ages is really important. We also work at really hard at it. I mean, we have weekly business development meetings. So it's, it's a focus front and center. So we have to keep that organic growth going. I can attest to the organic growth orientation. Number of times that I've was trying to reach you or Carl Tippett and you know, to find out that you were on a 6 a.m. flight to go meet a prospect. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, that, that was not just once. Yeah. It's, uh, so kudos. And uh, well, I, I do think it's, it's important that that obviously be kind of continuing anchor and uh, important attribute of your growth strategy. You're not just a firm that's looking to buy its way to significantly more growth. I think you've got a really steady growth engine. Thanks. As far as our inorganic growth strategy, um, to put in perspective, we've done three deals in the last 14 months. So over that period, we've had 58 interviews with firms. We've done 10 LOIs. So we're, we're applying that same process to our, our acquisition strategy. And it's a grind. But we may be a little bit of a disadvantage in this business, Chaz, uh, because we're looking for culturally compatible independent advisors within a five-hour drive of Cleveland or in attractive MSAs that are one flight away. Hard to find. We're looking for people where, where we might be able to solve some issue for them, upgrading their capabilities or succession. Well, there, there's two critical issues here that make it hard for you, as you know. One is just finding a good fit because you're not just kind of looking to acquire and, and aggregate anything that... Uh, possibly would have an interest in you, you have some strong criteria as you just outlined. So I think finding your type of firm is difficult as it is for us. And two, the world of acquisition, both aggregating acquisition or consolidated strategic acquisitions is hyper competitive. There are more folks in this part of the world by some huge factor than even five, six, seven years ago, much less 15 or 20 years ago. So you're up against a lot of different competitors. What do you think, Dave, makes the difference in being able to win the acquisitions or the lift outs or the key hires that you would like to? I go back to the uh, partnership type structure. I also go back to the culture of the firm. I think that the candidates that, that are attracted to us uh, like this collegiality, this friendliness, this politeness, but also understand the rigor with which we approach things. That's that's really it. I think there it's it's hard to put your finger on exactly, but but uh, those are the people we we get along with best and and ultimately become the most successful acquisitions. Couldn't agree more. And and like you, I think you said that you have consummated three out of a total of maybe 58 right. over the last 14 months that you have legitimately considered. Right. It's, it's actually not at all a bad batting average when you are selective. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a grind. It's a, it's a tough business, but we're committed. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to get together and talk to you, Dave. I just, I'm so proud of the evolution of Clearstead. Um, and as you uh, took us through in the beginning, it really is quite a story. And I think the fact that 
you and your 130-ish colleagues are still so motivated to continue to grow and evolve this business. It's been a pleasure to both have worked with you and to continue to be friendly and, and chat regularly. And, and one thing I will say, I don't know that we've ever talked about it on the podcast, but since you've mentioned it at least three or four times, kind of about your Midwestern demeanor, your friendliness, um, your approachability, your kindness, all of which are true in spades uh, for you and your colleagues, but that shouldn't be mistaken for weakness or lack of competitiveness. Well, thanks. I, I, I agree with you, Chaz, and I, we feel the same way, and, and we're uh, always been grateful for Rosemont's involvement. So thank you, and thanks for including me today. Very welcome, Dave. Appreciate you joining the podcast and look forward to following your future successes. Thank you. Thank you.